0: Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help answer all your questions about Rome. That's why you can listen to this episode in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this Rome guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge and you can get any question about Rome answered by real people right here. The best way to visit the Colosseum, how to get around, where to find an absolutely beautiful carbonara we're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world real people no ai ever and for a limited time it's completely free the circa travel app is available in the app store right now or at circatravel.com the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to carbonara In this episode we will be talking about some of Rome's most important history. The history of cinema. This episode is not only for those who love movies. It is for everyone. Because in its films lies the history of the city. And so, with that in mind, we're going to tell you a lot. But don't worry. There will be maps, notes and info on the places mentioned in these guides in the Circa app. And maybe a movie list too. So just sit back and close your eyes. Just for today, say goodbye to Hollywood and hello to the real city of cinema. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. There are open-air museums and there are open-air film sets. Rome is both. We couldn't tell the story of the city without dedicating an entire episode to its cinematic history, because for a period of time this city was a film set. It feels like one even when it's not. Any day of the week you can see a butcher having a cornetto and cappuccino with a nobleman. The Pope ordering pizza at one of our famous bakeries. He did that, guys, I swear. And you can see the shopkeeper's kids helping bring in an old woman's groceries. Then there's the florist who tells you a poem and then offers you a flower, the old man who stays silent and then drops wisdom bombs over an aperitivo. Everyone here will talk to you and no one will tell you why. But by the end of it, it will make sense, which is very much like an Italian movie. My name is Virginia Villar and I grew up in a film family. Monica Bellucci would come to dinner, and apparently I did a puzzle once with Abel Ferrara when I was two. My father is a film producer in the Eternal City, so cinema, you might say, is in my blood. Rome is a place so incredible it must be made up. But at the end of the day, when I think about it, it totally makes sense. It's the love child of thousands of artists, brain and hearts, all of whom have given the city something more with their passing. In all of the films that have Rome at their heart, that baseline of power, even in poverty, is ever-present. No matter what happens, Rome still stands. Via Margutta Dark grey cobblestones and evergreen ivy crawl on orange walls. A small light blue Fiat 500 is parked behind a Harley Davidson. This street feels like a magic fairy tale in the center of the city. Situated between the Spanish steppes and Piazza del Popolo, this 800-meter street has always been a favorite destination for artists, as far back as the Renaissance. Pablo Picasso had his studio here at number 53B which you can still visit today. It is a street full of art galleries and artist studios and it is intimately connected to the story of Roman film. Via Margutta was the home of Federico Fellini, the director of La Dolce Vita and Amarcord, who worked to inspire filmmakers like Woody Allen, Paolo Sorrentino, Luis Buñuel, Francis Ford Coppola and so many others. If you study film, you study Fellini. He lived in this cute street for 10 years with his wife. Their New Year's parties were famous amongst the artists in Vogue in the 60s. Marcello Mastroianni, Sofia Loren, Mario Schifano, Wim Wenders, everybody went there. People today still visit his favourite bar Canova, right under his apartment. Fellini, De Sica and Scola, some of the greatest Italian directors of post-war Italy, would often hang out here to discuss their movies, sharing notes and ideas. Head there for a quick chat and a coffee al banco, which means on the bar. Between the tables inside, you will find marble and bronze sculptures. This used to be a studio for sculptures and artists for generations, and it is now a bar slash museum. This street is romantically picturesque, but part of the reason we see it that way is because we've seen it that way in movies. Film helped create Rome's romantic character. Think about the chemistry between Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck in Roman Holiday. A princess is lost in the beauty of the city and saved by an extremely handsome journalist. Right down the street is Margutta 51, the apartment where William Wyler shot his film. The courtyard was not featured in the movie, but you can stroll around the ivy and the plants and imagine the film you might be starring in. The city has been the location of many movies, but the characters who live here have always provided the inspiration for both comedies and dramas. In the golden years of Italian cinema, the 70s and the 80s, Rome revolved around its actors and movie sets. You could be walking around and a street was closed because someone was shooting a scene. Be it Anita Ekberg dancing in the Trevi Fountain or Alberto Sordi devouring a plate of pasta, Rome's cinema history was blended with its streets. Just imagine, 1960, Piazza del Popolo. A handsome policeman is making sensuous gestures with his hands to direct traffic. A beautiful girl gets off the tram to cross the piazza. The policeman stops all the cars to let her pass. All the ladies are in love with the policeman, and all the men are in love with the lady coming down from the tram. It's not a scene from a film, although it could be. This woman is Sofia Loren one of the most famous Italian actresses of all times. From the famous Bar people watch as she crosses the piazza to swap trams, getting on tram 1 to Cinesittà, the home of Italian cinema. Cinesittà, the home of Italian cinema. Cinecittà, the Eternal City's own film studio, is the biggest in Europe. You may never have heard of the name, but I'm sure you've heard of some of the films it's produced. Once Upon a Time in America, Gladiator, Roman Holiday, La Dolce Vita, The Pink Panther, The English Patient, Cleopatra, Gangs of New York. Fellini once called it the Dream Factory, and truly in this space many dreams did come true. Since 1937, more than 3,000 movies have been shot here and more than 50 of them have won Oscars. In the 1950s, it was dubbed Hollywood on the Tiber for the river that crosses the whole city. Cinecittà has its own metro stop, and it is approximately 30 minutes by metro from Termini Station. It makes a really lovely half-day trip, and kind of feels like you're going out of town. It's open every day except for Tuesdays and tickets are around 15 euros for adult and 7 for children. The tour includes exhibitions and a visit to the sets. Get them on their official site and if you want a tour guide in English you have to drop them an email to make a reservation. Don't worry, we will link you in the notes in the Circa app. Chinishita can be considered an unpolluted example of rationalistic architecture which is both practically and aesthetically efficient. It is a huge part of Rome's history because when the city burned another of its nine lives in the Second World War, Cinecittà was the adrenaline syringe that resuscitated it. Everything that happens in the golden years of post-war Rome was in some way linked to cinema. The story of Cinema City mirrors the story of Rome. It was built, destroyed, and built once more. And it all begins with a dictator who had a passion for movies. In September 1935, during Mussolini's fascist regime, a fire destroyed the old film studios in the Appio Latino district of Rome, where to that point, half of the Italian production was carried out. No one knows how the fire started. It capped a disappointing era in Italian film. Movies were not popular, because most of them were not very good. Imported films from America were the only thing people wanted to see. Film technology and the art of storytelling in movies was woefully stagnant compared to the exciting new work being produced in Hollywood. The destruction of the old studio offered a perfect chance for Benito Mussolini to push forward the construction of his passion project, Cinecittà. Reviving Italian culture was a top priority for the nationalist leader. That and using the power movies had to promote propaganda. Propaganda. Mussolini understood that movies could spread ideas and emotions. They could make people feel a certain way about their country or their leader. And this could be a powerful weapon. When I was researching this episode, I found an old letter of Luigi Freddi, the guy responsible for political cinema under the fascist regime. He wrote to Mussolini. 12th of June, 1935. What I would not like to remain a dream even if it is a much less important question, is the problem of cinematography. I am sorry if I dare speak about it, but we are still where we were before, meaning nowhere. In the period leading up to the construction, there was a division between giving up to the idea that American cinema would always be superior and the dream of building something that was ours. Vittorio Mussolini, son of the dictator, wrote, America is the young, while Europe is extremely old and this influences the audience, even on a show basis. The elder Mussolini wanted Italy to be an example of grandiosity. You can see this in the architecture of Rome that he moulded. I mean, he paved a giant thoroughfare right through the centre of the Imperial Forum in order to create a grand boulevard for parades. He said this project to build a world-class film studio would spread the light of the Roman civilization to the world the new slogan of the studio was Cinema is our greatest weapon. No expenses were spared, even when it came to the film equipment. It was customary to buy motion picture equipment from Hollywood, but the equipment in the L.A. studios dated back to the transition from silent to sound, so it was a little old for Mussolini. Cinecittà did not buy from the L.A. studios, instead investing in new and cutting-edge equipment. They did a pretty good job, In 15 months, they built 73 buildings across 400,000 square meters. For a city often marred with bureaucracy, this was an impressive feat. One of the first movies filmed in the studio was Scipio Africanus. The film was financed by Mussolini, and so 7,000 people involved in filming the battle scene, with actual army members who had just fought in the Spanish Civil War. Oh, and actual live elephants brought to reenact the famous Battle of Zama. This was the kind of production that Mussolini had been dreaming about. Kids will love it, and so will you. Sadly, or karmically, World War II destroyed the studios. After the first bombing of Rome in 1943, Cinecittà became a refugee shelter until 1947. But right after it rose like a phoenix from the ashes. During the 1950s, Hollywood production flocked to the Eternal City to make use of the marvellous technicians and directors who worked there. But also, and a little less romantic, it was a lot cheaper. The nickname Hollywood on the Tiber was officially born in 1951, when the Time magazine coined the term during the filming of Quo Vadis. Movies about great heroes like Hercules and Hannibal were filmed here in those years. Charlton Heston starred in the epic film Ben-Hur, which won an Academy Award for Best Picture. Joseph Mankiewicz's Cleopatra, starring Elizabeth Taylor, was filmed here and ended up being one of the most expensive films made to date. As much as Cinecittà jump-started the engine of Italian cinema, Italian cinema actually had another important role, one of building hope. The destruction bought by World War II and the insult of fascist rule left deep scars on the psyche of Roman people. It amplified our cultural insecurity. Okay, let me explain this a little bit more if you'll indulge the side note. It's gonna get vulnerable. (music) Romans think they're provincial. Yes, we do. It is a big wound for many. The idea that we cannot be as incredible and romantic and perfect as the world thinks we are. We think of ourselves as villagers at heart, but it's bittersweet. It is true. The city is both a metropolis and a village, and that's never gonna change. Gossip travels at lightning speed, everyone in the neighborhood knows everyone's business, and sometimes it feels like we cannot move forward. But Rome is also so welcoming and curious. Everyone will try to speak your language or make you feel at home with a joke from the waiters to the market sellers. Your interest drives our love. So, for a city that feels provincial, to have Audrey Hepburn, Gregory Peck or Ursula Andrus walk on our street was a big deal. Being internationally recognized was huge for Romans in those days, sort of like an external validation to heal our insecurities. In the golden days, everyone who was anyone came through the eternal city to marvel at its beauty, to eat like kings, and who knows, maybe fall in love. Can you imagine the reaction of the owner of the restaurant Chicco dallo Scapicollo when he found Muhammad Ali, a scrappy-looking Sergio Leone, Robert De Niro, and Gabriel Garcia Marquez sharing a plate of carbonara and cracking jokes? There's something quintessentially Roman about this. A couple of friends gather, a few more are invited. It's perfectly reasonable to keep adding chairs to the table. We call it La Dolce Vita. I'll come back to this a bit later. Americans love filming in Rome. Francis Ford Coppola once said, I consider Cinecittà one of the studios I know better. It immediately attracted me because like in Hollywood or Pinewood, it's a place where everything and anything can be done and done well. See, I told you we were cool. Every filmmaker knows Cinecittà because it marked an important period in cinematic history. Martin Scorsese once said, the fact that we decided to shoot Gangs of New York is, with no doubt, linked to the economic reason. But I think there's also a legendary factor. The simple fact of working in the same studios of Fellini, Visconti and Rossellini, who I consider the great masters of cinema, was fascinating. We could feel their presence and draw inspiration from them. If Cinecittà and Hollywood had arms, they would be holding each other's hands. It was a constant exchange of inspiration, dream, and sometimes even bravado. What linked L.A. with Rome was that the Italian filmmakers who made movies in Cinecittà were studied and admired by the American directors we know today. So imagine being a painter and being able to paint in Picasso's studio, Right? So it was for directors like Scorsese to make films in the footsteps of Fellini. Movies are dream-made reality, stories made visible. They take what is imagined and give it a color, a shape, a character. Rome would not be what it is to the outside world if Cinecitta had not existed. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax-certified quality, so you can be sure, with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. Il Marchese del Grillo Some people in this world are so emblematic of a moment in time or of a city that the borders between who they are and what they represent exist no longer. For Rome, one of those people was Alberto Sordi. Alberto Sordi was an Italian actor, comedian, director and screenwriter who had a massive impact on the style and culture of Roman film. He understood the city like no other. Whatever he had seen or felt during the day transpired in the most incredible of ways on the screen. Watching his films is sort of like going to eat at your best friend's nonna's house. You're not part of the family, and it's not your house. But you've been welcomed in, and somehow you feel at home. Mention him to anyone in Rome, and you'll understand what an iconic character he was. One of the most famous galleries in the center of Rome is actually named after him. Galleria Alberto Sordi is a beautiful early 20th century shopping arcade in the heart of Via del Corso. Definitely go and check it out. If you're passing through, avoid the shops and cafes, which are overpriced, and enjoy the beautiful architecture, the coloured glass ceilings and marble floors. If you want a real look at Sordi, there's no better guide for your trip than Sordi's character in Il Marchese del Grillo. This film will gift you with a Romanness you otherwise wouldn't have known. The film follows a rich and bored Marquis in the 1800s who spends his time mingling with locals as well as playing pranks on them. I won't ruin the plot for you, but I need to highlight the slightly egocentric and rule-bending side of the Roman spirit, which is at the film's heart. It is about a person who defies the laws of society yet takes advantage of them when he needs to. This is a pretty accurate representation of what it's like to be Roman. When you live here you love Rome, but you also hate her. The Marquis' character is based on a real-life aristocrat from a high society Roman family, and their palace is nestled in the Monti area, this lovely neighborhood near the Colosseum. In the film, the palazzo itself is also nonsensical, for it truly does exist in the heart of Rome, and yet the scenes of the interiors were shot in a different location outside of the Lazio region. The exterior, as seen in the film, is a beautiful building overlooking the forums of Augustus, cornering an uphill road named Salita del Grillo, The palazzo is both imposing and warm. It arches over the roads and is attached to a medieval tower bought by the aristocratic family and thus known as Torre del Grillo. It's just one of those places Romans tend to pass by every now and again, when something within them calls for a little peace and quiet, as well as a little lightheartedness. You'll see why when you get there. It's not the most impressive palazzo in Rome, but it has something to it that quietens the soul. It's also fun to walk down Via dei Banchi Vecchi and envision one of the Marquis' most famous pranks. I won't tell you which one it is, but you'll see. Obviously the film is a comedy and it is all quite exaggerated. And of course the times were different. But it does sort of represent how easily Romans will tiptoe around and bend rules. We are sometimes considered lazy, but we do spend a lot of time and money figuring out how to do nothing. Would it be dangerous and illegal to be found gambling and in the midst of a brawl? Of course. Will he still do it? Of course. Why? He's a marquis. No one would dare say a word. All with the most absolute serenity. In this, Alberto Sordi comments on the ridiculousness of the corruption that surrounds the rich and inevitably always exonerates them from the consequences, meaning the poor will always be the ones to pay. I did say I wouldn't give you spoilers, and I won't, but there's one line that encapsulates so much that I must repeat it. Ah, mi dispiace, ma io sono io, e voi non siete un cazzo. I'm sorry, I am me, and you are nothing. What is neorealism? In 1946, in the early post-war years, two penniless young men were living in Rome. One wanted to be a director, and one an actor. One thing to know about Italians, if you look like you haven't eaten, you will be given food. It is like your grandma is reincarnated in every person you meet. I would always hear, you look so skinny, did you eat? But these two young men really were not eating. Pitying their skinny figures, a waitress slipped a steak under two fried eggs which was the only dish they could afford. The names of these two young men were Federico Fellini and Alberto Sordi. Born in Rimini, Federico Fellini moved to Rome to study law and make his parents happy. He never attended any class. Instead, he started doing what he did best, enhance realities. He became a caricaturist and would often draw American soldiers during the last years of the war. He was introduced to Roberto Rossellini, perhaps the most famous film director at the time, who asked him to write for Rome, Open City. Fellini went on to be nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. Fellini came of age as an artist as Rome was emerging from the darkness of World War II. The city had been through years of oppressive dictatorships, inflation, and bombings. Cinecittà wasn't yet rebuilt. But the war was over and filmmakers were hungry to make movies. This strive to create without money or studio sets birthed a new cinematic style called neorealism. Directors took to the streets, and because they could not afford huge budgets, they started hiring non-professional actors. The stories told in these movies were those of the working class in a country coming out of wartime. They were stories of everyday life, of love and oppression, injustice and survival. They were sad stories, but they were tender, and the making of the film often reflected the reality of struggling people. Children cast in roles portraying the children of the poor on film were often working to help their parents put food on the table. One of the most brilliant and devastating portrayals of this was Bicycle Thieves by Vittorio De Sica. The movie follows the life of Antonio Ricci, who is searching for his stolen bicycle around the city, without which he cannot do a job he was just hired for. Ricci is played by Lamberto Maggiorani, who was a factory worker when he was cast in the movie. These people knew the reality of their characters because they lived it every day. World War II was over, but it was far from being forgotten. Rome, Open City by Rossellini brings this sentiment on the screen. In it, one of Rome's darkest period is portrayed, Nazi occupation. This is the Italian version of Casablanca with a much sadder ending. It follows a partisan named Francesco, who is trying to escape the city because Nazis are on his tail. He does this with the help of a Catholic priest played by the brilliant actor Aldo Fabrizzi. The priest risks his life to save Francesco and never betrays him until the end even if that means watching him die. It is a beautiful film about human connection and compassion. The revolutionaries who had fought against the fascist government had done so in secret for years. The movie was shot in 1946 and the war ended in 1945. The wounds of the war were still fresh, which probably contributed to the authenticity of the movie. This film also calls out a lovely characteristic of the city, which is that everyone hangs out with everyone. Rome is chaotic, but she doesn't judge you. In the movie, you see a melting pot of priests, children and prostitutes living in proximity and helping each other wherever possible. We may break every rule in the book, but which attribute would you rather have? La Dolce Vita. Near Via Veneto, the street where the lifestyle dubbed Dolce Vita was born, Café Donet and Café de Paris were frequented until 4 a.m. One of them by movie people, and the other by famous writers and painters. From painter Mario Schifano to Andy Warhol, Robert Kennedy to Miles Davis and Luchino Visconti. Often, American tourists after the movie came out would stop by and ask, Where is La Dolce Vita? Obviously, this is not a place, but a lifestyle. But if you've seen the film La Dolce Vita, you might remember the iconic scene set in the majestic Trevi Fountain. Sandwiched in between a few small streets, there is no way you can approach it and not gasp. It's like finding Narnia, blue water that never stops moving thanks to the never-ending stream sprouting from the urn of abundance. Oceanus, a titan from the Greek-Roman myth, is the protagonist of the fountain, facing the waters on his shell-shaped chariot. This fountain is more than 400 years old, and its beginning was quintessentially Italian. I'll give you a hint. Drama. A smaller fountain sat in its place, but the Pope of the time deemed it insufficiently dramatic and ordered Bernini to sketch some renovation ideas. When the Pope died, so did the plans to make the fountain more dramatic. The work began again almost 100 years later, led by Nicola Salvi. It is one of the must-sees of Rome, and legend has it that if you throw coins into the fountain with your back to it, all your dreams will come true. Ironically enough, this was the place where 14-year-old Rino Barillari, king of paparazzi, would come and pick up coins that had fallen on the floor. If monuments were actors, the fountain would be one of the most famous ones. Everyone who comes to Rome should visit at least once. It is free and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. A scene from Totò Truffa 62, set right in front of the fountain, reveals the swindling character of Rome. The legendary Neapolitan actor Totò is seen asking tourists for money every time they take a photo of the fountain. A con artist, he invents stories for a living. He speaks to a man about the fountain, telling false stories about his family owning the fountain and therefore him protecting their rights. As he talks, he keeps asking people for money for snapping pictures. Eventually, Toto convinces him to buy the Trevi fountain and asks for a deposit in cash on the spot. The scene is absolutely comical. But this scene is art imitating life. In fact, inspired by the scene, a local once started selling the trees on the Lungotevere to Japanese tourists. He lured them saying the trees of the Eternal City had a special value. He sold 14 before being caught by the police. Trevi Fountain has been the epicenter of some legendary happenings. Barillari, the paparazzo, even told us that he once saw Winston Churchill's daughter completely drunk trying to climb in it. Please, do not jump in the fountain. You will be arrested and fined pretty heftily. But perhaps the scene that showcases the fountain best is from Fellini's La Dolce Vita. Anita Ekberg dressed in a satin black dress calling Marcello Mastroianni's name as she bathes in the fountain. He joins her and enters the fountain saying, we got it all wrong. Typical Fellinian style to drop existential statements into these incredible situations. They kiss when the water of the fountain stops running. It is incredibly cheesy, and could not be more perfect. The scene lasts two minutes, but it took weeks to film, and whilst the Swede was accustomed to the cold, Mastroianni hated it. I heard he wore a wetsuit under his clothes, and drank a bottle of vodka to bear the cold temperatures. La Dolce Vita was nominated for 12 Oscars, and won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Fellini had a poeticism in his style, that mixed existential questioning and the simplicity of life. He was a lover of imagination and he knew film and writing were a bridge between imagination and reality. He loved Cinecittà and he absolutely loved Rome. He once said, As soon as I walk along the avenues of Cinecittà, after a stop at the bar with a few sleepy voices of electricians, sound engineers and grips, I enter my natural dimensions the most childish and promising. I turned the key in the keyhole and there I am, in the middle of New York City, Calcutta, Ostia, Paris, Rimini. There is no dream and even nightmare that can give me the feeling of being in the right place like when I am in Cinecittà. His first encounter with the city, as soon as he got off the train at Termini, was with a chaotic and somewhat grotesque fresco, populated by a multitude of faces and noisy voices. All of this was in his movies. Fellini painted portraits of a city that went from the poverty of the 30s to the fashion and colors of the 60s and 70s. He told the story of a Rome that is scattered and lovable. La Dolce Vita was a period of artistic expression that bordered the superficial. People love saying that cities are contradictory. But Rome, in my opinion, is more dualistic. She's deep and superficial. To contradict is to oppose. Rome blends. Via Veneto was the epicenter of it and if you want to get a taste of La Dolce Vita, you can go to the club Jackie O, where boxers met dentists and painters and actors. Dress code is fancy, so don't come in your sneakers. Today it is still frequented by socialites and nobility, but also by people like me. It has welcomed celebrities such as Liza Minnelli, Gerard Depardieu, Valentino, Marcello Mastroianni, Liz Taylor, Margaret of England, Alain Delon, But La Dolce Vita is so much more than that. It is a way of living life pleasurably, an act of self-love, a wine in front of a vineyard, a nice family dinner or a day spent relaxing. This is at the heart of Romanness, rich or poor. We have a whole episode on culture that covers what it means to live La Dolce Vita like a Roman. It's a pretty big puzzle piece of our life. Make sure you don't miss it. The Great Beauty. One of the most recent movies about Rome was actually filmed by a Neapolitan director. His poetic films have resuscitated the fervor that Fellini had brought to the city's cinematic heritage. The 2013 Oscar-winning film The Great Beauty by Paolo Sorrentino is an incredibly high-definition, strong-filtered lens on Rome's sacred and profane duality it is an ode to Rome's architectural beauty. Like many movies on Rome, it is a comment, a critique, a bittersweet love letter to a city that is so engulfing and absurdly grand that it makes you lose sense of where you're going. The story centers on the life of writer Jep Gambardella, a one-hit wonder who moved to Rome as a teenager and who appears to be living a fulfilled and successful life. Jep spends his days doing whatever he pleases, strolling through the wonders of the eternal city and partying till the early morning hours. The parties, settings and locations of these scenes are incredible. They veer from incredible terraces to imposing gardens to hidden warehouses. I mean, of course the title hides a deeper metaphor, but it also simply is the easiest way to describe Rome, a great beauty. I have watched it so many times, and sometimes simply because I wanted to fall in love with the city all over again. Jeb soon finds himself, unwillingly and unaware, searching for something more. Despite the prestigious parties and the intellectual friends, Jeb seems to reflect the character of Rome, flamboyant, beautiful, but devoid of depth. And the last section of the movie sees him looking for a more solid sentiment, a fulfilling freedom from his prison of vanity. What's quite interesting about this story is that the film polarized most of its Italian audience. Many Romans saw it to be a very true and honest comment of their city and about a specific set of people. On the other hand, many from other Italian cities didn't understand it at all seeing it perhaps as more of a comment on Italy as a whole. I'm mentioning this because Italy may be tiny, but the differences between cities are enormous. Whatever you take from a film which focuses on a particular city can rarely be translated to understand the essence of another. Bear it in mind if you watch films for research. One aspect of the great beauty that does unite Italians is an appreciation for the spectacular array of locations chosen for shooting the film. There's the Gianicolo, a hilltop overlooking the center with the most insane views of the city. Then there's Colle Aventino, one of the seven hills on which Rome was founded. Aside from the obvious beauty of the place, it's also where you can see the St. Peter's dome, through a keyhole of a door. There's Castel Sant'Angelo, the imposing 2,000-year-old tomb of Emperor Hadrian, with a bridge out front with statues of angels that stand on both sides. The cinematography in the film is phenomenal, simply because it decided to focus on what was already there. Once again, the city was the star. There is a night scene in which Jepp walks through a semi-empty Piazza Navona. It looks as if someone had created some of the most monumental and astonishing pieces of architectures, just for you. It's a magical moment I wish for all of you to experience, and I would suggest your best shot at it would be in the early hours of the morning, or late at night on a rainy Sunday. When it rains, Romans hide. In all honesty, I wish you to experience Rome as the magical setting of the films and stories you love, as if it were that made-up place in your childhood you couldn't help but daydream about. Because the insane thing is, if you give her a chance, Rome can be that. There's a surreal scene in The Great Beauty in which a flamboyance of flamingos – yes, that's what they're called – flocks on Jepp's terrace during a dinner party. It's astonishing and absurd, and makes little to no sense. But that feeling of wonder is exactly the one that Rome gives off constantly to those who are patient enough to look and patient enough to see. The great beauty of Rome needs you to give it time to look through the keyholes and get lost in the vicoli. It is a stroll in the silence of the night, a brisk walk in the chaos of a market. It is the beautiful and the banal together, the screeching of seagulls on a quiet afternoon, Or, as Jep would put it, a never-ending train that leads nowhere. Thanks for listening to our film episode for Rome. Now that we've enticed you into this insane, cinematic, beautiful city... Remember to check out the other Rome episodes in this guide for a deeper dive into food, film, art and more. Whether you're heading to Rome right now, sometimes in the future, or would just like to learn all about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide, plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app, where you can also get pictures and maps and notes on everything in this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample our guides for Barcelona, London, New York, L.A., and many, many more, and many, many more to come. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers